Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rambles podcast, starting with the topic, are the GTA Online DLCs just a straight ripoff of the GTA 5 story mode missions? So as you guys know, there was a recent DLC, the Drug Overdose, the Drug Dose, the Dose DLC, Daily Dose of Internet DLC for GTA Online, whatever it was called. Played through it, I rated it like a 5 out of 10, but a lot of people pointed out that there was similarities between many missions from single player and from GT Online. I saw in this video from Gypsy, there's a list here. The first dose one was similar to Trailfield of Industries. First dose three was similar to Friends United. First dose six was similar to the ECU job. Last dose one was similar to Series A Heist Finale. Last dose five was similar to Minor Turbulence. Last dose three was similar to Doomsday Heist Act One, Setup One, and Dead Men Walking, same interior. Do I care about this? Not really. It is very, very clear that they've got like one guy in the back doing his best just to make a little bit more for GTA Online while everyone else is working on GTA 6. I'd rather they put everyone important on GTA 6 and get that out ASAP rather than making GTA Online just that little bit better. GTA Online is way too old. It doesn't deserve better content. It should die. But I don't want it to have nothing at all because then I would have nothing to do and it would wane in popularity and stuff. So just having some little fun new kind of thing is alright in my books, right? Like if I could get a modder to make me things like this DLC that came in online, I'd be happy with that. And I think the only reason why people are super critical of this is because rather than coming from just a couple of guys, some fan modders, this is coming from Rockstar itself. If it was just a couple of fans or whatever making this stuff. It'd be like, oh, that was really fucking good. That's a 10 out of 10 fan mod for GT Online. From Rockstar, it's like, you got to compare it to everything else that they've made. And it's clearly, by comparison, like a 5 out of 10 kind of thing, right? Worth the time to do, but not particularly amazing. It's also important to remember that for a lot of people, they haven't played or seen the single player in like 10 years. Like even me, with some of these, I don't know what the ECU job is. I didn't see the, the similarities between the Doomsday Heist Act 1. If you haven't played this content, if you don't live and breathe GTA Online and GTA 5, as a lot of us do, you won't see these similarities. And for those people, they may, not, may as well not exist. They've been reusing interiors for a long time. I think that's just a, a lot of how design works. I remember playing World of Warcraft when I was younger, and like every single cave in the entire game was like exactly the same. <laughs> or at least they had like three different variations for like the entire world. So you take one step inside a cave and be like, yep, this is this cave and you know where everything is. Like it's clear that no developer reinvents the wheel every single time. But I guess it was just so obvious this time around that uh, you rub people the wrong way. For me when I was playing I considered it more like a, a callback to those missions. Because uh, they were different enough that I didn't consider them to be like just ripping it wholesale from the the original. So I was kind of fine with it. If this is how GTA 6 is treated though, I'll be super pissed. Is the new chat GPT-4 the beginning of humanity's downfall? So chat GPT has released a new version, GPT-4, and for a layman, it's hard to like fully grasp the implications. I don't like to talk that much about AI because, as they, I'm not an expert. It's not really my place to talk about it. But you can listen to people more knowledgeable say certain things and you're like, that sounds kind of bad or I'm really curious where this is going to go, sort of thing. 
There's this clip that uh, Suffocate sent me here. So this is a dude, AI explained, breaking down uh, a particular paper or what have you. And 10 minutes and 50 seconds in, he says this. But finally, I promised craziness, and here it is. Look at the footnote on page 53 of the technical report. ARC, by the way, are the Alignment Research Center who got early access to GPT-4. It says, to simulate GPT-4 behaving like an agent that can act in the world, ARC combined GPT-4 with a simple read-execute-print loop that allowed the model to execute code, okay, do chain of thought reasoning, and to delegate two copies of itself. ARC then investigated whether a version of this program running on a cloud computing service with a small amount of money and an account with a language model API would be able to make more money, set up copies of itself, and to increase its own robustness. They were kind of testing if it would lead to the singularity. I know that sounds dramatic, but they wanted to see if the model could improve itself with access to coding, the internet, and money. Now, is it me, or does that sound kind of risky? Maybe not for GPT-4. Sure, it's not smart enough yet. But if this is the test that they're going to use on GPT-5 or 6 or 7, colour me slightly concerned. Like, you don't have to be an expert to see how that could, like, blow up and ruin basically everything, right? That old fear that AI would just outgrow humanity and become smarter than we can possibly conceive and then just effectively destroy us or uh, upset human society in a particular way where like our economies collapse or what have you. I remember reading something about people who who think that like it would be the greatest thing if humans created the next level of intelligence where even if we create an AI that destroys us, they're like, that's a beautiful thing. It would be a terrible thing, but a beautiful thing because we will have given birth to the next evolution of intelligence in the universe, even if it resulted in us being destroyed. I don't agree with that, but when there are people out there with those sort of conceptions, it's like, it's hard not to be somewhat concerned sometimes. <laughs> like, I'm curious where this AI thing is going to go with all these developments, and I guess I'll find out each and every day I continue to live. It's going to be interesting in like five years to look back on this time. The lackluster announcement of the departure of Twitch's CEO after 16 years. So Twitch's CEO, Emmett Shear, has stepped down after 16 years. His post is basically, yo, love my time at the company, like, wow, so good. And the people, whoa, and the money, oh my god, I made so much money, like, my pockets just piling out money. They won't let me keep in the bank, I have so much money, it's crazy. They're actually saying that last part, but uh, I'm sure he's thinking that on some level. <laughs> These announcements when CEOs leave social media always feel lackluster to me. So I tweeted this out in response. Every time the CEO of a social media leaves, it is always a letdown. The leaving announcement is always, I am happy for the time I spent in the company, etc. Just once I want a 14-page manifesto throwing shit at everyone they work with. Especially fuck Chad from accounting. I said Chad from accounting because it's a Yu-Gi-Oh! Bridge reference. They're all dead? Even Chad from accounting? Especially Chad from accounting. Uh... <laughs> that clip better be in the rambles. Yeah, everybody involved with the production of the Egyptian God Cards was killed. What? Even Chad from accounting? Especially Chad from accounting. Very old school YouTube. As to my opinion as to whether this is going to be really impactful for Twitch, I don't know. I've always heard that uh, Emmett Shear is like out of touch to a degree. He's not uh, the charismatic leader that's uh, bringing everyone together. He like 
I expect most people who are on Twitch have no idea who Emmett Shear is. That's how much behind the scenes he was. He wasn't that smiling face being like, come onto my platform, please. He's that guy sitting in the broom closet being like, hey guys, can you keep it down? I, I don't know. The person replacing them, whatever their name is, I know even less about. I've merely heard that they're similar to Emmett Shear in the uh, way that they conduct themselves. But it's probably doesn't matter all that much. We'll see what happens. Are games the best storytelling medium, surpassing even books? So someone showed me this TikTok, which is just a bunch of text. We've got quite a few likes over here. Dear gamers, I have a bone to pick with you. Why didn't you tell us that games have incredible plots and character development? This whole time I've been thinking you were playing Mario Kart. Now, as I watched the last of a show, I'm realizing that you've been gatekeeping some of the best stories in modern history. What should we play? We'll do whatever you tell us. Sincerely, a book reader. As a person who has watched a ridiculous amount of TV shows, a ridiculous amount of movies, a ridiculous amount of anime. I've read a ridiculous amount of books, listened to a ridiculous amount of audiobooks, and I played a ridiculous amount of games. I want to say that games, on average, have worse stories than any other medium. It doesn't mean that games don't have amazing stories. Merely that because games have a focus on gameplay and spectacle and are very costly to produce, often resulting in cuts, to large sections of the game that can flesh out plot and whatnot. These things inhibit them from having as good a story as say a book, where the only focus is on the story. Like if you want five more pages of exposition in a video game, that might take a month of development compared to in a book, which is just writing the page. If you want it in a movie, an animation, millions of dollars. When a TV show, same thing, ridiculous amounts of money, but in a book, you try the page. The greater your considerations beyond simply creating an, an amazing story, the harder it is to have an amazing story, in my view. Like, there's nothing better story-wise than a good book. That doesn't mean there can't be amazing stories in other mediums. There clearly are. But if this person goes into gaming being like, man, every game I'm going to be playing is going to have like a great story like The Last of Us, or yes, Red Dead Redemption 2, fine. They're going to be very disappointed, right? I consider those things to be exceptions rather than the rule. I often feel like with games that the that the gameplay can detract from the story. Where you're like, I want to get to the next part in the story. And then you have to like slog through a bunch of fetch quests. Bring me 10 walnuts. Move my horse down the road before you get the rest of the story. And she's like, oh, please, no. Like for a lot of people, and I think it's why adapting a game to a TV show can work is because people don't want to bother with all that bullshit. Like if you aren't interested in gameplay and playing video games, video games aren't for you. You just become frustrated that you can't get the story that you most crave. There's a reason why like cutscene movies on YouTube of very popular games have millions upon millions of views. Sure, some of it is people looking for particular scenes or re-watching a story from a video game that they played a long time ago. But a lot of those people being like, I don't, I don't have fucking time to, to get Steve his two donkeys. I just want to know what story happens in the, in the video game. If you aren't consuming all mediums of storytelling, you are missing out on some great stories. But it doesn't mean necessarily those mediums are for you. Is Twitch's new exclusivity deal a sign of fear of YouTube? I got a question to ask you guys. Have you heard of a lot of streamers getting exclusive Twitch deals these days? Because for a while they weren't giving them out. And this one with C-Dog, Connor, is the first one I've heard about in a long time. Even down here, where it references YouTube courting uh, Twitch's darling streamers, it just talks about Ludwig, which was back in 2021. So over a year ago. 
and looking at this, like, Sea Dog has it all in terms of being a content creator. Like, he's networks with a lot of people, a lot of good friends in the industry. He has more of a personality than simply like watching YouTube videos. Like he doesn't do reaction content. Like he's doing all that collab stuff. He's got, got a lot of viewers. But at the same time, like I'm still surprised to see this. I didn't realize that Twitch was like afraid of YouTube or something still. I've avoided talking about Kick because it's just complete nonsense. As Kick tantalizes Twitch streamers for this lucrative revenue split of 95 to five. What fucking stupidity, right? If you really wanted a split like that, you could have had it forever by trying to convince your viewers to give you money on Patreon as opposed to through Twitch. Just no one does that, right? It's Kick just has no terms and conditions, does it? Kick does have a terms and conditions. Please do not listen to Aiden Ross and his fucking stupidity. There's no point going to Kick, which has like one tiny, tiny fraction of the audience of Twitch. It's like when Elon on on Twitter was like, hey, yo, we're going to get the content creators over to Twitter to make content by giving them like, you know, a 95 split or whatever the hell Elon said. It's dumb. That's not where the audience is. It's not where the money is. And the very nanosecond, like, let's say there's reality where Kick takes over. Unless, of course, the gambling sites that uh, fund this website are seeing enough of a return of, of problem gamblers on their websites coming from Kick, they will have to reduce that split to make it profitable. Every single website, when it's nothing, it's like, bro, we got the best deals for you, man. Just come over. We'll give you everything under the sun. What, everyone's here now? We've we've cornered the market. We're not a small player. Great. We're going to remove all those benefits. Get fucked. Your kick is just another mixer. So they'll talk, for example, about, you know, they got a million signups to the website in the first X amount of months or whatever. But that's all people just going to watch the handful of big streamers who now stream on Kick. One of the problems with that mixer had was that people came over to watch Shroud and Ninja, and then when Shroud and Ninja went offline, they just didn't stick around. There was no trickle-down effects of the viewers. They would just go back to Twitch where all the other creators were. And that's the exact same thing that's going to happen with Kick. Like, YouTube, as we've always said, has a good chance and probably is eating some of the lunch of Twitch, but that's because everyone already uses YouTube and already looks for content on YouTube, right? It is less that YouTube is taking people away from Twitch and more that YouTube is just working to keep people from going to Twitch in the first place. This Team Fortress 2 machinima lost me in a maze of confusion. There was a Team Fortress 2, I guess, machinima that came out called Emesis Blue. So I watched this thing, and when I got to the end of it, I was like, was this a good use of my time? This was an amazingly well-made sort of machinima thing in a, in a, from a video game. It's a horror, maybe at least a thriller, that took, like, what, four years to make or something. It is certainly an experience, a trip, but when I got to the end, I was like, I don't know how much of that I really understood. And that's kind of the point, I think. It's meant to be a mystery, like, what's actually going on. The basic premise, as it's told in the beginning, is the respawn machine that is used to bring everyone back to life is meant to be like a horrific kind of thing. The most interesting thing about this to me was some comment I think someone left referencing a completely different story where in that story they have a teleporter but you have to be knocked unconscious to use it because if you're conscious for the process 
of the teleportation, it feels like an eternity. Like, literally an eternity. And in the story, I, I guess, someone remains conscious and they get teleported and they have to spend, like, an eternity waiting to be, to end up on the other side. And how that relates to this, ties into this, is, is kind of confusing. But if you're interested in just, like, a, a complete mindfuck, I recommend Emesis Blue, because it clearly has been very well made. It's just not traditionally the sort of thing that I watch. It is amazing. It's just, when I reached the end, I was like, was this worth watching, considering how little I understood? <laughs> On some level, I think I would have enjoyed, like, a half an hour video of someone explaining the possible interpretations of the movie more than I would enjoy watching the movie itself. Or maybe not. I give Emesis Blue a thumbs up seal of approval. You should probably go watch it. Where will the Rambles podcast series go next? So recently, YouTube made a change that enabled me to get better analytics about my Rambles series on YouTube. Now, I always knew it wasn't particularly good, but these analytics showed me that my Rambles series represents 4% of my earnings on YouTube and 2.5% of my views. The reason why there's a bit of a disconnect there is because shorts obviously make up a lot of my views and don't make any money. Despite this, I spend a disproportionate amount of my time working on rambles. There was especially true before I got uh, Rogerio to help me with it. He now does like a substantial amount of work on us and then I do my bit. But given that it's such a small percentage, even the time that I'm spending, which is a you know couple of hours an episode, is too much. I always knew the series wasn't successful, but I kept doing it because I like it. I like rambling about stuff and I like having a history of my thoughts at any given time on issues relevant to me. Makes my content feel more personal, and this job feel more personal. But seeing these numbers, it's shown me that I really need to work to reduce the amount of my time spent on rambles even further. So, what's probably gonna happen now is I'm not going to go over it myself, as I was before. I guess I won't get into the nitty gritty details, but there might be a few more minor errors in the series moving forward. Just be aware of that, I suppose. The content just isn't evergreen. People just don't watch it weeks from now. Too much of it is topical, relevant to just now. People don't want to watch old rambles. They'll watch the new ones, but not old ones. Unlike some of my content, they're still getting views like three years out. I'm just going to continue to change the format, change the thumbnails, the title and stuff to see if I can get more views. But ultimately, probably for your benefit, really, I'm going to try to spend less time on rambles and more time on stuff that people actually want to watch. And I don't think the series is going to suffer all that much for it. It just maybe in some cases I would remove some words or change some things or whatever. And now that's not going to happen. At the end of the day, I only have so many hours in the day. I only have so much time I can dedicate to anything and I should be dedicating it to the most important stuff. So I continuously try to do. And for so long, what time I've spent working on rambles has largely been because it's easy. And I like the series. It's like, yeah, I could open up Pacifist and claw some good content out of that and make it into something and spend the next you know, hundred hours just molding it into something good. Or I could just like cut up me talking a little bit and, and release the video in like a couple of hours. It's like, yeah, yeah. Rambles was just such an easy project for so long that I would uh, work on that as opposed to the important things and gonna continue that process of removing myself from working on it. They're still having it come out. Just relying on a uh, Rogario to uh, carry it home for you guys. I finally watched Puss in Boots The Last Wish. I finally paid $25 Australian dollars to rent Puss in Boots The Last Wish from Amazon. 
And so I watched it in large part because of how many TikTok clips I had seen of it. And I was like, that's a pretty good movie. But I had already seen like a third of it already via TikTok clips. So nothing was really surprised to me. <laughs> if anything, by the end of it, I was like, I felt like that went too quickly. Like the show has some good characters and it kind of sucks when you get to the end. It's like, wow, I'll never see those characters ever again. And so the grand total of screen time for a good character was like 10 minutes. And so like, you just compare it to video games or TV shows or books or whatever, where you can have a, you can see a huge development of a character over a long time. And then you compare that to a movie where it's like, well, it's one and done, it's over. Movies can be great, of course, but I just don't feel like they have the same potential weight as other mediums. They just can't build up. This YouTube short has me questioning my YouTube expertise. I know I've talked about shorts like 817 times, but it is still so interesting to me. Look at this graph. This is a short. It's like, oh, I'm dead. I'm getting no views out and then just immediate huge spike. It got down to 260 views an hour. And then within like four hours, shot up to 11,000 views an hour. <laughs> what is this graph? Who made this graph? I'm deleting this graph. Shorts don't make sense. Why would it ever dip down this low? This is a banging short. It's engagement, it's like through the roof. Weirdly though, 26% of people swipe away. Interesting. Is Twitch paying people just to sit around? So Twitch announced they're laying off 400 people. No reason to read this, but it was basically they're announcing that they're laying off 400 people so they can give Dog VA a Twitch contract. Got, gotta keep <laughs> Connor exclusive on the platform so they had to fire these 400 people. Like it was just a good business decision. <laughs> Now, obviously entirely unrelated, but um, I guess this is just what everyone's doing in terms of uh, all these companies doing in terms of slimming down their workforce. I mean, Amazon is getting rid of 9,000 people or something. Maybe similar sort of thing. Sucks for those 400 people, but it always surprises me how many people work at these companies. When you hear a number, it's like tens of thousands. You're like, what, what are they doing all day? What were these 400 people previously doing at Twitch where you can just let them go and nothing breaks? Like when you're younger, you believe that everyone who works at a company has a purpose. Like companies wouldn't hire people unless there's work to be done. But apparently they do. They, they do just hire people for nothing. Or maybe I suppose that the jobs become redundant or something. Uh, you can fold in different positions together with ease so one person can do the work of two or something. You can streamline stuff. I don't know. I don't know a company that size. Bearded Australian man fins off coyote. So I was on my run today, going up to get food, as I do every day, and a coyote crossed from one side of the road to the other and was on my path going forward. And so I stop, and the coyote is walking along and looks up and sees me. So it stops, and we're just looking at each other for like a good solid 30 seconds, and the coyote crosses back to the other side of the street and leaves. I'm like, yeah, I, I doubt coyotes are particularly brave. And more than likely, that is the response to seeing any human, but also just a very funny interaction. <laughs> Why did the coyote cross the road? To get away from a bearded Australian. This is an outro. I hope your life is going well, and I wish you all the best.